Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Hi, Lauren. Are we live, Lauren? Hi, Dr. Cohen. We are live with Gross Anatomy Podcast, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV, and the world around us. And I'm joined with the host, Dr. Jason Cohen. And who are you? I'm Lauren Taylor, and today we have a very special guest that I still don't know how Dr. Cohen managed to talk on the show, but I'm very glad he did. I ran over to where he is, and I said, I made him an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> but we have, we have Dr. Roshan, Roshan Seti, right? Yes, it's, uh, yeah, it's Roshan pronounced like, raw. if your shin was raw, you'd have a raw shin. Oh, <laughs> then, Roshan. Yeah, kind of yeah. like Rosh Hashanah, like the Jews say on the beginning of the new year. Yeah, my twin brother is named Rosh, just like Rosh Hashanah. Um, He's an ENT. I saw that. Yeah. What are your parents thinking that they would name you Roshan and your brother Rosh? I mean, that's like saying yeah. Jason and Jace. Well, honestly, you'd have to ask my mom because <laughs> I don't know. You guys, wait a minute, wait a minute. Quite how to answer that. You guys never asked your mom? Well, we have. I think the idea was that it was funny and that it was also... Um, you know, I do think there's something Indian about it because there are a lot of Indian twins with similar sounding names like Love Kush and the Ramayan come to mind. But um, I, I think it was also meant to be just like cute. I like it. There's some famous twins in the NBA, Marcus and Markeith. Like, I like that. I think it's cool. Yeah, but you're Rosh and he's, I mean, he's Rosh and you're Rashan, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm Rosh and he's Rosh. So my name is only an A-N on top of his. Right. And who's older? I am by two minutes. Um, two and is that why you got the A-N? Is like A-N mean the older brother kind of thing? Yeah, it's actually a good question. I think that, th- that the intention was always for the first one to be named Roshan. And then they thought that the second one was a girl. But, uh, and the, na- the idea had been to name her Roshni. But then, uh-huh. um, yeah, it, it ended up being... Because Rosh is kind of a made-up name. I don't think it exists outside of our family. Um, or if it does, it's kind of rare. Whereas Roshan is like a very common name in India. Well, interestingly, my cousin is married to a Rashmi. Oh, interesting, because that's a very common name, too. Is it? Yeah, Rashmi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's a urologist. Oh, wow. Yeah, and there you go. Um, I'm so thrilled that you said yes. I, I think I reached out to you on Instagram after. So, you know, one of the reasons why we started this podcast was kind of all you know, between my kids and just people, they would always talk to us about, Hey, I saw this in a show, some medical thing. Is that real? Does that happen? Um, Or um, I'm just such a big, Lauren and I are both just big pop culture movie TV fan kind of thing. So um, so that's one of the reasons why we kind of started the whole podcast. So we like to review and talk about different medical shows. So we talked about, we watched the pilot for The Resident. And I confess, I, I haven't watched more episodes, although... If given the time, I definitely would love to. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> and um, and then I reached out. I, I looked you up. I reached out. I, I heard that the and I was and I was thrilled. You said yes. Yeah, thank you but for watching. If you don't mind, do you always say? Are you someone who just says yes, or or was there some uh, or was there something? Did you look us up a little bit and you saw something that said, you know what? Let me say yes to these guys. I actually always say yes. And part of the reason is that I got my. You were stomach. supposed to lie to me and tell me that 
I know, but I couldn't bring myself to. But uh, part of the reason is that I got my start um, in the industry by sending an unsolicited Facebook message um, to the co-creator of The Resident, Amy Holden Jones. So because she replied to that message and she was the only person to reply out of God knows how many messages I sent in those days, um, I am always uh, answering random emails to me. I answer almost or, or DMs or whatever. I answer almost all of them. I saw that. I read an interview you did with um on Boston Magazine or something like that. Yeah. And um, so I read that you sent her a message. What was in the message? Just can I work on your show? Did you have to send writing samples? Well, what I said, I always kept any inquiry very brief because I had found that people don't really respond to anything that's not brief. So I just said, I'm a student. She was, she had created a show called Harvard Medical School for the CW and it was abbreviated to HMS. It was just called HMS and they were working out the legal, but I think at the time it was looking like CW like Harvard wouldn't even approve its name. So it would probably have changed its title, but I was a first year at HMS. So I sent her a Facebook message that said, I'm a first year at HMS and you're working on a show called HMS. And I would love to consult for that show. Uh, And then she replied and said, usually consultants offer something in the way of stories or writing. And I replied to that and sent her like 12 pages of stories that I actually said had happened to me, but none of them had happened to me. I was like three months into medical school. I had <laughs> And then claimed because I was too nervous or too shy to just straight up pitch ideas. Um, so I just, it was easier to pretend they had happened to me because it was harder to criticize something if it happened to you. Oh, I love that. And, and what was her response to that? She loved all the stories. She said, send me more. And I just kept sending her stories. I've never written so many stories in so little time, um, but I have always been fast. So I was just kind of prolifically generating ideas. She eventually shared her email. I started sending ideas to the email. And eventually I think, you know, she was probably just so inundated, but she ultimately said, do you want to just form like consult for the project? And I was like, yeah. Um, having never done that before or had any involvement in Hollywood whatsoever because it was so far outside of it. What was the timeline of that between the time you sent her the first email or text or whatever you want to call it till the time she said, okay, come, come. I think it was about a month because I remember contacting her right before Thanksgiving um, of 2009 when I was starting medical school. And then I remember she had invited me to join as a consultant in December of 2009. And then it shot, I think in February of 2010, February or March. And they, I was invited to come to the set for one day. As as an employee or just to kind of watch? As a consultant. Um, and, paid? Uh, paid or just a guest? I was paid, but uh, not a huge, <laughs> I think it was right. like a thousand or 1500. But you know, what was thrilling for me at the time, again, having no connection to the industry was that they sent a car and I had a plane. It was economy, but it was just like, it was very thrilling at the age of 21 and right. you know, having no prior connection to the industry. But then and- I came to set and had very little to offer, honestly, because they were, they were, you know, almost every decision had already been made. Um, but I met Amy in person and we became really good friends. You know, it was a very short period of time that we spent together, but we were kind of instantly bonded. Did they ask you any opinion while you were there or really you were just kind of like a guest watching the show? They asked me a few questions. Like the, they asked me to comment on the white coats that were being used. They asked me, the actors asked me some questions. It was hard. I mean, I really didn't have any expertise. To <laughs> like I was so, I had so little experience of medical school and HMS is, I believe a particularly like uh, shel- I, in a way I felt like our first year was sheltered. Um, like we, 
we did very little clinical. It was almost all classroom. And our anatomy is really abbreviated. At HMS, you do all anatomy in six weeks. I think that's changed now, but that wow. was then. Yeah. Gross now, anatomy we, is just six weeks? That was all we did. We, we blew through anatomy in six weeks and we did not um, dissect the feet. So it was abbreviated in multiple ways. You didn't and, do the dissection? No. Well, we did do the dissection, but we didn't. We stopped at the ankle. We went. Uh, yeah. Feet, and, feet. Oh, I didn't hear what you said. Yeah, yeah, feet. Sorry. So it was a. It was an abbreviated um, kind of gross anatomy thing. But, you know, it's funny. I had a similar. Another reason why we started the show was I had a similar when I was just starting fellowship. So when I was in my thirties already, I was already an old man. Um, friend of mine said. Hey, I know they're working on this TV show. It was right when Grey's Anatomy was actually starting. There was this other show called Three Pounds. I don't know. Yeah, if- the neurosurgery okay. show. Yeah, with right. Stanley Tucci, right? Yeah. What's that? With Stanley Tucci, right? Stanley Tucci. There were actually two forms of it, but a guy named Mark Feuerstein, who eventually became a friend, oh, yeah. was in one version of it with... Um, He's the like- private practice guy, or the... Um- the royal royal pain guy yeah Yeah. he's a great actor yeah right so i i and he's been a guest on the show actually so um but this doctor friend of mine said oh my friend is working on the show he's been having me consult on it why don't you come to the set and help also and meet the actors and da 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 and we'll be consultants and i thought okay this is my uh dr roshan steady moment uh uh and and then nothing you know we showed up at the set the show didn't get picked up. Um, you know, it did shoot the pilot, but but that was it. That was my moment. Your moment definitely yeah. has taken you a little further. But, well, but that was kind of my moment. Other than a nice friendship formed with Mark Forrestine. Mark, who, yeah, such a good actor. But they, um, you know, this show wasn't picked up either. HMS was immediately uh, passed on very shortly after the pilot was shot, despite being a very good pilot. Um, and Hellcats was picked up that year. And then I think canceled a year later. I don't think Hellcats had a season two. I never even heard of Hellcats. Yeah, it was with Ashley Tisdale, I think. But anyways, it the HMS had died a, a very quick death. Nevertheless, that pilot lives on. We actually got it formally um, registered in Harvard's medical library. And, um, and there you go. it's shown periodically to the medical students. And it has its own little, you know, it's sad when pilots die, I think. But the HMS one kind of, lived on in its own different way. Cool. So you, you grew up in on the East coast, I imagine. No, I grew up in Canada. I grew up in Calgary, Alberta. And oh, wow. then uh, our family won the green card lottery and we came to America when I was 17 and I started college at Yale as my mom and dad moved to Arizona. And your mom's a, some kind of medical person. She's a general practitioner. Yeah. Um, and you and your brother, I read, uh, used to hang out in her office. Yes. Yeah. We grew up like in that clinic, um, you know, taking people back to rooms and looking up charts and that kind of thing. So you always, as a kid said, Hey, I'm going to be a doctor. Yes. That was always the plan. I did float the idea of becoming a writer, which I think uh, made everyone very anxious. And the the general guidance was to go to medical school. Right. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but your brother was the serious one and you were the less serious one. Well, he was, he, I think we're equally serious or not serious, but he was definitely more committed to medicine um, from the beginning. And he is actually very artistic in his own way. However, he's a surgeon like you, but he's a head and neck surgeon and does those crazy flap surgeries where he's doing these reconstructions that are almost like being a sculptor. Like, you know, they, you know, and you can speak to this better than I can, but there is creativity in working with your hand. 
and you know crafting incisions and it's especially it's, with the head and neck with the ENT stuff that they do with those crazy flap commando resections and everything like that. Yeah, commando is a good word for it. 12 hour surgeries and then you know they're crafting a new organ and it's just weird. So so you already knew early on though that you were doing medicine but kind of thing, eh? Yes, always wanted to do something else. I wanted to write as well. And I did not know of a way to write on in addition to being a doctor. And I got into consulting, not because I had any interest in consulting for medical shows, but because I wanted a way to find, to become a writer. Had you, I, you took a screenwriting class in college, right? Yes. I took a screenwriting class in college. Um, and I had no prior interest in screenwriting until that class, but then really enjoyed it. And, uh, that class, you know, got me final draft and the book uh, story by uh, Robert McKee, but I don't, I don't remember. Is that story, but there's like a whole ca- character, Robert McKee. Yeah. He's in, in some movie, a, what movie ad- adaptation. Yeah. He's yeah. in um, the Charlie Kaufman movie. I think he actually appears in it. Right. Yeah. Remember, yeah. Yeah. But he's a, uh, you know, he's one of the old screenwriting um, gurus. And so I, and then, you know, I had another teacher, Bob Stevens, who actually used to be the lead writer on Malcolm in the Middle, who uh, was really encouraging of me writing. He actually, we did, I did a comedy writing class with him, but he encouraged me to write seriously, but there was no realistic way for me to go to medical school and do that. So consulting became the way to bridge both things. What was your major? Uh, I was uh, in college. Yeah. I was a biology major, molecular, cellular, and developmental biology. Did you have a minor? I wrote a lot and, you know, I, we didn't have concentrations or whatever, but I, I did a lot of writing classes. The the thing about Yale is Yale has the amazing masters in fine arts writing program. So did you, did you kind of toy and tease with the fact, maybe not go to med school and try to go to Yale graduate program? No, there was just no world in which I was not going to medical school. It was just mom and dad. Yes, because of them, because of me, because of them, it was just predestined, and there right. was no there was no other outcome. I wouldn't even have taken a year off if that had been an option. All right, I'm going to tell you. I don't know if Lauren knows this funny story, but so I was an art major in college. Wow, and a painter, but I also yeah. did a little bit of writing, and and in college, kind of same kind of thing. You know, Jewish parents. You know, my dad is like. You could become a doctor, a lawyer, or if you're not smart enough, you could become an accountant, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. And and in college, and I knew I, I went to college knowing I was pre-med, but I found art and I did a ton of credits. And my dad, and I kind of toyed with gra- applying to M- the MFA at Yale in art. Mm-hmm. And, and I mentioned it to my dad. And my dad said to me, he goes, Jason, if you go to med school, and become a doctor. I'll take care of everything. That's what I want you to do. And he said, after you finish being a doctor, I'll let you go to Yale art school and I'll pay for you. After wow. He said, if you go to Yale, if you don't want to become a doctor, you're on your own. I love you. I'll still be your dad, but you're on your own. And I didn't have the guts to, to do the Yale art thing. But funnily, after I finished, is that a word funnily? Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't think so, but ridiculously. So I finished my fellowship in surgical oncology mm. at Cedar sinai and I get my um, FACS, you know, you apply for your yeah, of course. All that stuff. And I called my dad up at age 32 and I said, dad, I'm ready now. 
to, for you to send me to Yale for art school. And there was silence on the phone. You know, I was fucking with him at that yeah. point. But, I, but, I, but he, he freaked out for a minute. He's like, uh, okay. I'm like, dad, I'm, I'm messing with you, you know, but that, that was kind of my story. Do you feel that what you do surgically ever feels artistic to you? I, I hate to say, I mean, there's, there's art in taking care of people and talking to people of and course, all yeah. stuff. And there's tinkering. You know, I love the tinkering in the, in the surgery stuff. But in terms yeah. of the creativity, I don't, I don't know. Not like what you're doing, you know, with the writing. How did and, you choose radiation oncology? Well, so random. I honestly don't even have an answer to that. Someone was just like, have you heard of Radonk? And I was like, no. And I just went to shadow a Radonk. And I thought that the lifestyle suited itself to being able to pursue other interests. And the other thing I thought about it was that I knew I wanted to do oncology um, because of a family experience with oncology. But uh, I didn't, Medonk, you know, is kind of arduous in that it requires internal medicine and then a Medonk fellowship. And then it never lets up, whereas Radonk seemed to have more flexibility, which turned out to be the right instinct. And you hadn't thought about like ER, doing ER or just doing internal medicine. It was really only, or radiology or something like that. No, you know, I'm not good with my hands. So I had trouble imagining myself doing anything even remotely procedural, which included ER. And I felt that at least in medical school. I don't know, you know, I was like, I had a pretty rough surgery rotation, actually. Yeah. So I just felt like, should I be like intubating people? <laughs> I <laughs> felt like it may be safer for me. So to anesthesia be was out then too. Yeah. Um, and uh, it just radiation oncology ended up making the most sense. It turned out to be perfect for me, I think. Not psychiatry? No, I did not think about psychiatry. I really didn't. Um, I didn't have the greatest psychiatry rotation. That may have been partly why, but no. Um, you know, I think this is obviously quite variable, but I, I love talk therapy and participate in it myself. I have a therapist, but I think many psychiatrists don't do talk therapy anymore and are mm-hmm. reduced to being sort of medication mills, which yeah. didn't appeal to me. I think there are many exceptions to that. So I don't mean to say anything universal or sweeping about psychiatry, but that was hard for me to stomach. No, that's, that's definitely a reality. So how, how far into med school did you, did you all throughout med school say, I'm just doing med school to be a doctor and then still do a writer, be a writer? Or was there some point in med school when you said, hey, I, I love this? Or, and then when exactly did you pick radiation oncology? Well, honestly, my plan with the writing was I had no plan, except that any opportunity that looked even remotely appealing, like it would lead to me writing professionally, I would take. So I started a literary magazine at the medical school, and then that collapsed. And then I wrote to random doctors who are also writers just to get advice and found that there was not really much advice to be had. I wrote random editorials that I sent to the times that were about medicine that were rejected. I was just trying, I sent short stories to literary journals. I was trying literally everything to try and be a professional writer, which is all I dreamed of at the time. Wow. And uh, the, I never intended it for it to be a replacement for a medical career. It was always something adjunct that I knew I wanted So I, alongside that, but completely unrelated to it, chose radiation oncology at the end of my third year and took a year off to do research in radiation oncology, because at the time you really needed research to get into radiation oncology. So I did the Doris Duke Clinical Fellowship, Clinical Research Fellowship, which doesn't exist anymore, actually, I think. 
I might be wrong. Maybe it's Howard Hughes that doesn't exist, but I did the uh, clinical research year. And then in my, uh, what was now my fifth year of medical school, applied for residency and started right away as soon as it finished. But that entire time I was just consulting on medical pilots, some for Amy, some for other people who worked with Amy. I was, um, you know, doing whatever I could conceive of. And it wasn't until I uh, was in my final year of medical school, about to go to residency, that Amy had a show get greenlight called Black Box on ABC. Um, And I ended up working on set for that show as, again, as a medical consultant. Um, And uh, I, in the process of working on that show, started writing as well. And that writing eventually got me an agent near the end. And then had you written like a screenplay or anything prior to that? Had you, had you written something? No, I had really no formal. I mean, I had taken the screenwriting classes and one of those classes had made me write a 60 minute pilot and the other had made me write a 30 minute pilot. So I had those experiences. I had never written a feature before, certainly, but I had done that sort of uh, rudimentary writing. And I say rudimentary because I don't, A, I don't think it was good. And B, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like very formally structured. But um, I learned a lot from working with Amy, who is uh, a very sort of structured writer and very talented. Um, and uh, I do think that screenwriting is not something you really need to be trained in per se, any more than you need to be trained in writing a novel. Um, so I figured it out as I went. Is Amy Holden, was she a doctor too? Like she writes a lot of medical No, pilots. Amy Holden Jones has written almost exclusively medical pilots for the last decade, but she is the child of a doctor. Um, her father is a doctor and really all of that is more her story to tell than mine. But she, uh, it, I think has long been fascinated with medicine. I'm sure. She would agree with me saying that. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. She's definitely drawn to it. And um, so I took a year off uh, after intern year to work on a show as a staff writer. After I got an agent, got staffed as a staff writer with my former writing partner, um, Haley Shore. And the two of us staffed on code black, which was a CBS medical procedural And that show was really um, uh, fun, but we ended up at the end of, it ended up, they had to let go of the staff writers early because of an issue with the back um, nine order. And I ended up um, working on The Resident, which was then a pilot for Showtime. So Haley and I wrote it with Amy uh, at the very end of the year I had taken off between intern year and the rest of residency. And Showtime passed on it. I went back to residency. And then when I was in residency, it got turned around to Fox, who picked it up to series as I was a resident. Um, I chose to stay in residency um, and participated in the writing room for the resident remotely for, I don't even know how long, a few months, and then found that was more or less untenable (laughs) um, and left the show. So I haven't been involved with the resident since I think the fourth or fifth episode, um, because whoever writes the pilot is the co-creator and their name is on every episode. So my name continues to be on every episode of the resident, but I'm not actively involved with it. I'm certainly not producing it. Oh, that's curious. Cause yeah, on your IMDB page, it says like 82 episodes. So I was like, wow, you must've had to stop your residency and just work on this hit show, which you oh, awesome. I'm credited on all 82 episodes, but as the co-creator, which is a privilege you earn simply from writing the pilot. How did you balance in the beginning med school and doing the consulting? Was was that? Yeah, I um, I didn't. It wasn't that demanding. I would just like I, they would send me a page and be like, "Is that accurate?" And I'd be like, "I think so." I would, you know, come up with stories. I would send them. I would type them out on my phone. Sometimes I'd have to write pages myself, which I again would do very quickly. Um, 
but I've always been really fast with writing. So, but, but, you know, medical school has gotten, I think, easier since your time too, probably. Like, I don't know when you graduated from medical school. I graduated in 2014, but HMS has like, was pass fail for the first two years. Like Mm. it wasn't like, do you know what I mean? It wasn't like crazy. I don't know what it was like for you. But But what if they wanted you on the set? Like, how were you able to do that? Well, our fourth year gave us huge stretches of time to do anything we wanted, to be honest. So you were able to kind of choose your electives and... and Yeah, I was in New York for almost six months. Because of the show or because of that's where you were? Black box. Um, I was in New York for almost six months of my final year of medical school. So you didn't have to work on all 82 episodes of The Resident. Yeah, what show did you do next? That was The Black Box is what you're saying? Well, Black Box actually came before Code Black, which came before The Resident. The Resident is the last show I've worked on. I've since then mainly written features. Okay, yeah. I saw um, one of your features uh, called Jane. Is that what's coming out this year? Yeah, well, I wrote Call Jane with Haley Shore and that uh, was actually written almost five years ago. And recently got made with Elizabeth Banks and Sigourney Weaver. And that's premiering at Sundance um, in a week and a half, um, I guess, because it's the 12th now. Um, And that doesn't have distribution yet, but we'll get it hopefully at the festival. Is Sundance, so it's actually happening? Like you can go to the festival this year and... No, it's virtual. So it's all like you watch it virtually. But yeah, that's scheduled for basically next Friday is is, is when the movie premieres. And you'll ski virtually also? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. right from this room. Yeah, uh, and then uh, I wrote, uh, I co-wrote another movie with my boyfriend, Karen Sony, who's an actor, as well. And we made that movie um, actually last in twenty twenty. Two years now, so yeah, twenty twenty, um, and and that premiered at Tribeca last year and is coming out this year. What's that called? That's called Seven Days. Is it medical? No, not even remotely. Well, there's a medical thing in it, but uh, no, it's mainly, uh, it's a rom-com. <laughs> nice. So I, I want to ask about what, what's writing for you with a writing partner like, or at least in the beginning, when, when you were first writing with a writing partner, were you just the medical guy telling, telling her stuff or how would you, how would you even do it? Yeah, I've really never been just the medical guy telling stuff because I am really think of myself primarily as a writer more than I am om- almost anything else. So I, uh, I have written both with Haley and Curran and in both cases, I generally just, we just exchange drafts. So uh, I'll write some and, and the other person will write the other. Do you sit in a room together and, and write I've together? I've never done it that way personally. So, so how do you divide and conquer? Like, what do you, what's, what's your technique? Yeah, it was different with every person that I've worked with, but um, my preference generally is to work on the earlier drafts, because I find that I'm better at generating pages, even if the pages aren't good or refined or polished, but I have a lot of the initiation energy. Um, and I have less of the rewriting, editing, polishing energy. That's less interesting to me and I'm less good at it. Um, Do you story it together though? Like and plot everything from beginning to end kind of thing? No, not always. You know, I am not personally a big believer in outlines or in excessive plotting. I think what happens when you do too much of that is you lose um, the emotional thread, which should be the thing that really holds a story together. Um, So I'm much more exploratory and frankly, undisciplined. It's a huge contrast to me as a doctor because I'm very neurotic and uh, anxious as a physician. 
and, you know, always creating little lists and double checking everything and emailing everybody five times and redoing work and unnecessarily sending email chains that include every provider in the hospital. But then in uh, the right, in the writing side, I am so loosey goosey. I'm always just like kind of figuring it out as I go. Some things don't add up. I, you know, I really, I see, I see the creative stuff as an opportunity to not be me. No, go ahead. Birth the resident. Where did that idea come from? Like, what was your? Yeah, the resident, the initial idea was to do basically training day in the hospital with like a young, naive intern and a corrupt psychotic resident. And it was partly developed with Antoine Fuqua's company, which was the reason for that. And uh, that actually is an exception to everything I've just said in that we literally, the three of us wrote that in a room right beside each other and like just called out lines to each other. But I've never done it that way other than that one pilot. You had the story. Was it your idea on your story or someone said, hey, let's do training day in medical? No, we all came up with the premise for the show together. Um, And we uh, worked it out in much more detail than the, you know, the two sentence I've sort of said um, as we went. But it evolved into something completely different during its life on the show. And in many ways, I try to distance myself from authorship of the show because I really think it is Amy's show. She's the person who stayed with it and 82, 81 episodes that I was not involved in. So I, you know, that's if you hear me hesitating, that's probably why, because I think it's for baby. Was it a little autobiographical, though, the, the lead character or not really? Yeah, I mean, he went to Yale and Harvard Medical School and he was Indian. Um, so that, that part, you know, the Manish character, I mean, but the Manish Dale character, but, uh, but in some of what he experienced occurred to me, but, uh, a lot, I would say the majority of it is fiction. So now what you write, you're like steering away from the medical world. Like you kind of like want an escape in a way, or just like different things are fascinating. Yeah. I never wanted to write about medicine. I only did that because it was a foot in the door. Um, but yeah, I uh, am currently much more drawn to like romantic stuff and comedy came out at the age of 30 and so i'm i like writing about gay stuff because i'm still exploring that and new newer to that so is the rom-com kind of a autobiographical story a little bit no the rom-com is the straight rom-com the seven days the one that's coming out this year but um i will hope work on a gay love story soon (laughs) yeah that'd be great I'd love to see that. My other question is, so is there, was there like a TV show or a movie that made you want to become a writer? Yeah, I was not influenced by TV or movies growing up. I wasn't really even watching them or allowed to watch them until I was 17 or 18. My big love, my first love was writing and I was, was reading books. So um, I was obsessed with epic fantasy in the book that made the biggest difference on me growing up. Um, was like Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time, like deep, you know, Game of Thrones, which in 2005 was, you know, nobody was reading Game of Well, everybody was reading Game of Thrones, but not the people who are talking about it now. Um, but it was at the time a much more cult uh, fan, epic fantasy series. Those were the books that really influenced me. Just big, broad storytelling, I guess, but certainly not movies. What about Dune? Were you a Dune fan? I was a huge Dune fan. Yeah, I even read the books written by his son um because he carried on or did he write them with someone else but i read all the i read i've read everything in the dune series have you Um, seen either the dune movies either the first or the newest i haven't seen the lynch one or this one um i'm curious i've heard the new one is good i don't know what you guys made of it but i liked it dr cohen did not i really thought it was great 
I thought it was great, you know, cinematographically, whatever that word is. But uh, yeah. I just, I didn't, I mean, I love the books too. I mean, that was what got me interested in reading was Dune, was Frank Herbert. So I read all the books. So I didn't, I don't know. I just didn't think it, it, it wasn't as epic as the books for me. <laughs> Although watching it was beautiful, but it, but it didn't necessarily do it for me. Are you going to see the movies? I will. I definitely will watch it. I'm afraid that it's going to be slow because that's the sense I get from um, the brief glimpses I've had of it. And the book I remember being a feverish book where I was just staying up all night to read it. And so it's hard to imagine how it could be slow because the book was so riveting. Yeah. But, you know, as a doctor and as authenticity and stuff like that, because that's one of the things Lauren and I like to talk about a little bit, you know, when we talk about shows, have you gotten yeah. crap, uh, you know, about the resident and all from people, even like say from your not brother, that your much. mother. Oh, no, not that much. You know, I think uh, I did. Uh, I remember with the pilot hearing certain complaints uh, because the one I remember for some reason is that, people felt the central line procedure was shown as occurring in much less time than it would actually take. And in general, not the kind of note I, I care about because we have to compress time because nobody is going to watch a real time central line placement on yeah. network TV. Um, that would be absurd. Um, yeah. And there's so, there's so much of that compression of time and narrative that has to happen. I think the inaccuracies that matter are the ones that are irresponsible. So to take, just an old example, people talk a lot about the depiction of electroconvulsive therapy in One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest, which is which hangs in people's heads. They are aware of that movie and of the way it looks, and it makes them scared. Maybe an insulin shock, but whatever it was. And it makes them scared of electroconvulsive therapy now when it's actually a very effective treatment for yeah. depression um, and uh, other conditions. And so those things can, can you know, by making something look horrifying it can be scary and can affect people's ability to pursue care that i think is an inaccuracy that cannot be allowed the smaller inaccuracies like oh we wouldn't really send that test or we wouldn't do that scan is i don't know i don't know if it matters but i might be on the the wrong side of that i i just think uh i my other view about medical shows is that they really should not attempt to explain medicine i don't think they're there to serve a teaching function i don't like when characters give a lot of exposition where they say, for example, one doctor says to another, he has a pulmonary embolism, which is a clot in the lung because one doctor would never ever say that to another. Um, and I don't think people are there to learn. I think they just want to feel that they're surrounded by a bunch of very real details. So um, those are my personal views about medical shows, but they, they've all been ridiculous from ER to the to house, you know, they've all taken insane liberties. So. Yeah. I yeah, thought, I mean, um, it's entertainment. Yeah, so yeah. I see. I'm sure you read The House of God or no? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I love House of God. Yeah. Um, so so basically, you know, your your other lead character, Matt, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last Dupree. name. Yeah. He's basically the fat man, right? Yeah, he's there's a lot of uh, the fat man in him. Yeah, especially in the beginning of the show. Um, I'm a huge fan of that book, though. I haven't read the sequel. Um, but we had uh, Sam Shem. We we had him as one of our guests, and yeah, talking about him. talking about the sequel. That's amazing. I sent him a Facebook message in 2009, um, he and he replied, and he gave me advice. Um, I think I talked to him on the phone. But anyways, he's uh, he's such a smart, and that book is so like it's for the ages. 
It'll never get old. Exactly. It'll never have nothing to say. It'll never have less to say about medicine. It really, it's like, it's astounding that yeah. 40, 50 years later, it still is sort of the canonical text on. Yeah. But, but you're, but, but your guy is, is he was a great fat man. I mean, he was, you know, yeah. a little crazy, but, but you could see he was brilliant and cared. And I, and I thought that was a great character. Yeah. It was really, again, based on um, Denzel Washington's character. In but Training, Denzel Washington was a bad guy. But he's really corrupt. But the right. idea was in the Showtime version, he was corrupt. So it used to be a much darker, you know, the way the shield ends with the pilot with the, with, with the cop who you believe is the lead and the hero um, shooting someone. And the shield was considered groundbreaking because it took the police procedural and made police people into anti-heroes. Um, this was meant to do something similar when it was at Showtime. Yeah, that would make more sense on Showtime. I could see that. Yes. <laughs> didn't make as much sense for Fox. So it changed. You ever watch St. Elsewhere? No, I didn't. You know, Bruce, I think was on that show. Yeah. Yeah. I never watched it though. I've heard it's very good. That was a show that that actually influenced me and maybe, you know, going oh. down the medical route a little bit. Wow. Yeah, I've heard really good things about that show and I want to check it out one day. I love that show. And and your scene where where the resident guy comes and splashes the ice, you know, uh, on the on the patient that was insane elsewhere. And I, I still remember really? that. Yeah. And I still remember that. I mean, a zillion years ago, but I still that scene always it's a great scene. Yeah, that's so funny. I've never heard that before. Um, I had heard about that in um, a class in medical school. And I thought that was the moment I heard that I was like, that should be on a medical scene where someone just puts a bunch of ice water on someone. It yeah. just seemed like such a natural end to an act. But everything was, I learned about medicine, I learned from TV, not, not from, from medical Yeah. School. <laughs> well, hopefully people aren't learning from the resident. But <laughs> So are you planning to, where are you with... Uh, did you finish residency or where are you with all residency? That? I'm part-time faculty at Harvard uh, in the department of radiation oncology at Brigham and Dana Farber. Um, and I do palliative radiation oncology and I work for 12 weeks of the year. Nice. So you have a pretty good schedule. Yes. Yeah. And then the rest of the year I write and direct. Do you see yourself staying in Boston or are you going to make the move out West? Yeah, I want to stay, you know, I don't think I could get that job literally anywhere else for one thing. And for another, I'm very personally attached to everybody who works in that department, particularly our chair. Um, so I, uh, I I can't see myself ever leaving. That's awesome. And they're very supportive of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, they really are, which is, uh, which is gratifying. That's amazing. That's amazing. I feel like you're one of the only writer directors actually, you know, practicing doctors. Well, there's, you know, there's Ryan McGarry who uh, made the documentary Code Black, which was the basis of Code Black, the show, and worked on the show as well. He's a practicing emergency room doctor. He also co-created the Pandemic um, series for Netflix, which is a docu-series. I think it's called Pandemic. Um, so he's he's one that comes to mind. I know that Zoen Clack, a longtime writer on Grey's Anatomy, used to practice emergency medicine. I don't know if she does still, but I know that she at least used to, and for many years of Grey's Anatomy overlapped with actively practicing. Um, and then there are, uh, I, I think Josh Stroke has now left the resident, but I know he practices as well. So there's quite a few of us, weirdly. Nice. Um, the most successful example being George Miller, who was a ER doctor um, when he made Mad Max <laughs> and then left medicine, I think, I assume. Mad Max? 
Yeah. Mel Gibson? He was a doctor? I did not know that. George Miller, the director, is a doctor, yeah. That I did not know. Yeah. I know about Crichton, right? Isn't Crichton a doctor? Yes. I don't think he ever practiced, though, did he? No, he finished medical school, he wrote ER, and then he never did anything medical again. Yeah, I guess that's what I meant. I felt like that was the usual, like people changed career paths. Neil Baer did do residency. He wrote for ER for many years. I don't think he practices anymore. But you're finding a way to do both, and you still want to do both, which is very impressive. Yeah, yeah. In in hindsight, if, if you could have gotten to where you are today, would you have still gone to medical school? Yes. I don't think I'd be a writer if I wasn't a doctor, because I don't think I would have found any other way into this industry, honestly. Like this Hollywood is so closed off. Um, <clears throat> so impossible to penetrate. And being a doctor was how I became a writer. So I would do it again in a heartbeat because I don't even know how else I'd be here. But that's great. One more question. Do you have a pet project still that at some point, you know, has been brewing in your head that you want to make, or not necessarily you just want to make stuff? Yeah, I just want to make stuff. I, I I write quite prolifically, so I'm always have like some new random passion project, and a month later another one. So, just whatever I can make. And do you do you have a set time that you write, or you could just sit there in between patients and start writing? Now I write every morning, and I can only write in the morning for some reason. <laughs> but and do you force yourself to sit down every day and and turn out some pages? I try to. Yeah, that's um, amazing. Yeah, I'm quite a disciplined writer. I will give myself that. What do your parents say? Uh, I think they're happy. They're proud. They're, you know, they're, they never saw this coming. <laughs> but they're happy that, that you became a doctor and a writer. Yes, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Would you tell if you, if and when you ever have children, would you tell them to go into medicine? I don't know that I'm going to have children, but yeah, absolutely. I think it, it fills me up um, so much spiritually. And I think it's uh, just a good thing to do for the world. Awesome. I would love to stay in touch with you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Feel free to email me. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this. You're, you're a hero of mine. Uh, I'm quite envious. I'll, I'll be quite honest. I, I think it's amazing that you're able to do this and to find a way to do both. It's so, it's, it's really amazing. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was really a pleasure meeting both of you. Um, and feel free to keep in touch. I'm so sorry again about being late. Oh, good luck at yeah. Sundance. I'm sure you'll Thank you. Well. Yeah. So much. Bye, guys. Bye. Appreciate it. Bye. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.